Hello and welcome to Forex Focused, uh, UBP's FX podcast. I'm Peter Kinsler, Global Head of FX Strategy at UBP, and today I'm joined on the podcast by Peter Dixon. Peter's the head of EMEA Research at Fit Solutions, and he's a former colleague and indeed an economist at Commerce Bank. Peter is one of, uh, if not the uh, most foremost economic uh, commentators on the UK economy, and we're basically going to, to talk today about the UK in some depth. We're going to talk about uh, last year's mini budget. We're going to talk about the outlook for rates and for foreign exchange. We'll also address uh, politics uh, and then also address the issues around the Bank of England. And of course, we'll briefly touch on the prospects for EU-UK relations. So Peter, uh, we'll kind of get into the weeds on it now and we'll see what's going on. And I guess we'll start with Liz Truss's budget uh, in last September. What did you make of that budget and what did you make of the mar- market reaction to that budget? Um, it, it was a stunning moment, wasn't it? Um, this was a, you know, a government which seemed to want to act in a hurry to do something, whatever something was. And, you know, clearly Truss had identified, as I think many people would agree rightly, that the UK's problem is slow growth. But it's not just a UK problem, of course, it's a it's a global problem, certainly a, an industrialised world problem. The trouble is, of course, that the Truss government, Truss uh, and, um, you know, various other politicians associated uh, with that particular administration, you know, decided that the best way forward was to somehow reduce taxes and thereby unchain the economy in much the same way as they you know, they had all, many of politicians of, of that ilk had already outlined in their book, Britannia Unchained, some, you know, decade ago. Um, it was a spectacular wrong goal in terms of the fact that it was, you know, the wrong solution to the problem. I think most people would accept that. Um, and, and certainly that was the market view. The market's view was, you know, this is simply putting a big hole in government finances by slashing taxes, uh, which is going to, you know, take an awful long time to fix, if indeed, you know, it ever will be fixed, because, you know, there were, there were major question marks obviously, as to whether um, reducing taxes was going to stimulate growth. My view, and I think the, the vast majority of the economics profession would say, you know, this is not the right way to stimulate growth. There are lots of other things the UK, you know, could and should be doing. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, we all know what the market reaction was. We all know that the Bank of England uh, was forced to step in to, you know, to calm market sentiment. Now, it's ironic that it took the Bank of England to, to step into the market, um, having been the target of much criticism from Trust during her uh, election campaign for the Tory leadership in the summer of 2022. Um, so, it, you know, it, it turns out to have perhaps been, well, it, it may well turn out to be, you know, the, the last knockings of the ultra-libertarian right, which inhabit large parts of the Conservative Party, um, because I think that, you know, it, it proves, I think, to be or will prove to be just a, a step too far uh, for for markets to swallow. And let's not forget, it, it played very badly at home as well, because uh, one of the, the signature policies was to you know, reduce the upper rate of, of income tax, which you know, benefited a, a very small number of uh, of people. So not only was it a, a bad piece of market economics, it was a a very bad piece of domestic politics as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was an extraordinary period. I, I remember writing one of my pieces that Liz Truss buried the Queen, the Pound, and the Conservative Party at the time. And, um, uh, you know, and, and, but joking aside, um, I think really one of the things about the budget was that, in a way, it kind of signals that it's the end of cakeism, you know, this idea from Boris Johnson that you can have your cake and eat it. And it wasn't, the, in a way, wasn't the market reaction a sense of saying, okay, no, you're not going to do this because we don't believe you. That's right. I mean, I'd like to think you're right in the sense that it does represent an end of cakeism. I'm not necessarily sure that that it does. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there will be uh, attempts lower down the scale to, you know, to sell us a smaller cake, as it were. But um, I, I think the, the grandiose vision that you can uh, simply act um, in line with your beliefs and unchained from the constraints of, you know, what the markets uh are, are going to do to you it, perhaps it has been you know buried hopefully for good um and because it's obviously very unfortunate that the uk runs quite a sizable um public deficit it's got a large current account deficit as well and you know to to use the words of of mark carney you know the uk is, is reliant upon the kindness of strangers um and never was that laid more bare than in september of 2022 and you know, obviously, you know, we're going to continue paying the price, I think, in terms of the elevated risk premium that I think the UK is going to have to deal with for, you know, for some years to come. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that that's kind of brings me on to the next question, where if I look at, you know, interest rates, certainly we've seen that long-end yields have risen, um, you know, substantially since, you know, say, this time last year. Um, and I, I think part of that is, of course, you know, the, the wider steepening in, in long-end yields, uh, you know, in most developed markets. But um, from from the UK perspective, I mean, how much of that idiosyncratic risk do you think is priced in? What's a fair level, in your opinion, for, for 10-year guilt yields? Well, the fair, fair level, I think, is always, you know, what the market is prepared to, you know, prepared to bear. I mean, I, I think looking at, you know, where we are on, on yields right now, um, you know, the, the spread has narrowed quite considerably. Um, what was memorably terms, you know, the the moron premium, premium, you know, blew out quite spectacularly uh, in September and through the first half of October. Things seem to have, you know, calmed down significantly. Um, but I think the the danger is, and I'm going to use somebody else's uh, metaphor, but I think it was Bill Gross a decade or so ago, you know, talked about the UK bond market is resting on a, on a bed of nitroglycerine. Well, what do we know about nitroglycerine is it's very volatile. So, you know, it may well be that even though, you know, the risk premium now looks relatively well contained, um, the markets may be a lot more sensitive to policy errors in the UK now uh, than they perhaps have been in the past and perhaps uh, more so than they are with regards to other European markets. So there's every sort of possibility that spreads could widen out still further. But, you know, I think that, you know, a, a guilt yield in the current environment of, you know, for, well, a, a real a real yield in the UK at the moment, let's put it that way, of around about, um, you know, 1% is, in, in the medium term, is, is quite acceptable. So if you think that over the course of uh, the next, you know, Year or so, inflation can get down to you know, about three, which is not entirely impossible over the course of the next twelve months, depending on what happens to 
um, to oil prices, then you know a ten-year yield of about four percent on a uh, looking looking ahead is is probably uh, not a not an unreasonable estimate of what you think fair value will be. Sure, sure. I, I think that I quite agree. And I suppose talking about policy errors, if we, if we could go to the Bank of England, um, I, I notice a certain sense of cognitive dissonance at the BOE, right? In the sense that it's raising rates, you know, gone to three, three and a half percent. And then at the same time, they're saying, yeah, but, you know, 18 to 24 months down the line, we think inflation is sub 2%, right? Uh, we're raising rates in, in the context of pretty rapid shrinking in, in, in you know, European growth, global growth dynamics. It, it does seem to be that they're kind of raising rates for the sake of it at this point. Um, I'd like to hear your views on it. Um, is, that, is my comment justified? And then where do you think the BOE goes next? I mean, I do sympathize with your, with your view. Um, and in some ways I agree, but equally, um, I think you've got to look at it from the Bank of England's perspective. So let's take their, 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 their side of the argument first. I mean, central banks around the world, of which the BOE is, is just one, we, it applies to the Fed, it applies to the BOE. They, they've sold the public this idea that they can somehow control the rate of inflation. So in an environment when inflation rises, um, they obviously, you know, become open to the criticism that they are somehow behind the curve. And that was something we heard an awful lot in the course of, of last year. So under those circumstances, they kind of have no choice but to react to, to mounting inflation, even though, and this is where your point comes in, there's absolutely nothing they can do to offset a, a supply side shock, which emanates from uh, rising oil prices. But of course, the bank's problem is that they are concerned with the second round effects of inflation. And of course, you know, we saw only recently uh, the fastest rate of wage growth in, I think it was 20 years, uh, in response to the, you know, the, the recent surge in inflation. So the bank has to be mindful to step in and, you know, take action when they think that the inflationary process potentially is, is going to become de-anchored, to, to use the vernacular. Um, is that the right thing to do? Moot point. I mean, unfortunately, as we all know, economics is not a sort of physical science where we can run experiments. I think this is one where we run it in real time and we get the, the one chance to get it right. Um, you know, I, I think the messaging around the bank's actions is certainly something we can criticize. I mean, this idea that, you know, inflation is going, therefore we must, you know, take, take action is perhaps not a good not a good look or not a good sound uh, when, as you point out, the economy is, if not in recession, then certainly on the cusp of one. Um, and at a time when people are already being stretched by um, you know, the impact of inflation on their energy bills, making life harder by you know, raising their mortgage payments or whatever else it is, um, certainly doesn't sound like uh, a particularly sensible policy strategy. And I think we have to be quite clear that central banks generally um, can only control the inflationary process to the extent that they can dampen down economic activity. And I think it's become quite clear over the course of recent months that that, that is where we are. Central banks don't have a magic wand which says you know, we, can, we can impact upon inflation by changing interest rates, um, but we can impact upon inflation potentially by uh, curbing economic activity um, and thereby 
potentially raise the degree of spare capacity in the economy. Whether you think that's a, a socially um, optimal strategy, uh, I think you know everyone has their views on that. I mean, I happen to think that it, it, it causes uh, an awful lot of, of, of damage. But um, you know, over the course of the next couple of years, if and when inflation starts to get back to target, um, the bank will probably say, "Look, we did what we had to do, and you know, we 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 got inflation down again. Thank you very much." Uh, so you know, it's unfortunately a, a case of you know central banks, Bank of England particularly, um, they're, they're caught up, I think, in to some extent in their own propaganda. Yeah, they're kind of they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Um, I, I think just taking on the BOE, where do you think they, the terminal rate for the BOE is? Right, if if, if they're three and a half percent now, where do you think they they end up? It's probably going to be in the region of four to maybe four and a quarter, I suspect, because given what's happening to wages right now, um, there's every indication. That the next move could be another another fifty basis point move. Um, you know, we're not quite at the point at which the bank is going to want to stop raising interest rates. Um, so the, I think they'll give us at least another fifty basis points. I mean, whether it's one fifty or whether it's two twenty five, I don't know. But you know, we very quickly get to to four percent, and you know, unless we see signs that the uh, the second round inflationary effects are beginning to ease, then it's entirely possible we we'll get another twenty five on top of that. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if by May or June, we're looking at a, a four and a quarter percent um, bank rate. I think the question really is, um, you know, how long do rates hold at that level, and, and how quickly um, is the bank forced to reverse its position? Now, you know, I think most central banks would certainly give the message that they're not going to reduce rates anytime soon. So once rates hit a particular level, uh, they'll stay there. But you know, circumstances have a have a nasty habit of dictating. That uh, you know we have to act otherwise. So you know, don't be at all surprised that if in I don't know nine months' time uh, the markets are starting to, to price in quite aggressive rate cuts. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, the thing is, from my perspective, it, if, if we look at what's happening with the Fed in the states, we see the the Fed effect market pricing in maybe twenty five bips more from the Fed, and it's extremely rare for the BOE to raise rates when the Fed has stopped. Right, historically. Um, I can only think of one period, um, you know, in the last thirty years when that's happened. And even then, it was a pretty brief, um, a brief interlude. So, yeah. So the, a, a limit above kind of four percent on on the BOE seems reasonable. Um, moving to the, the political side of things, um, we've got you know the the, the latest, I'm not saying a new uh, prime minister, but the latest prime minister, uh, Rishi Sunak. Um, he's had a, a kind of an interesting, I would say, burst in the sense of he's, he's had to undo a lot of the damage done by trust, particularly on the fiscal side. With the aid of Jeremy Hunt, um, uh, what, what do you make of Sunak's start so far? Um, and, and do you think, you know, is he going to be able to govern the country, or is he, is gover- governing the Conservative Party a, a bigger task for him? What what, uh, what do you think? Um, well, I think it's a, it's a very good question. I mean, as you said, he's got two tasks there, hasn't he? Um, I, I rather suspect that you know the Conservative Party realizes now that. Many of the policies that it's you know it's been pushing over the course of the last what is it six seven years um, may have reached their sort of natural conclusion as, as we discussed you know earlier in the in, in in the podcast and you know we might have got to the stage now where um, a, a lot of MPs are starting to fear for the seats uh, you know this famous red wall 
that, that, that was uh, breached in 2019. Um, we've got to a point at which, you know, maybe MPs realise that, you know, it, the, the, the permanent conflict within the party is not doing them any favours. I mean, they are, after all, you know, 20 points behind in the opinion polls. Um, you, you know, it doesn't play well with the public. It might be time to, you know, shut up and try governing for a change. So we might be in a, a situation where Sunak's job has become a little easier compared to, you know, that of his, uh, two of his recent predecessors, Johnson and, and Theresa May. But the, the task of governing the country is, um, is or should be uppermost in his mind anyway. Um, but he's got, a, he's got a hell of a job on his hands. I mean, we have an economy which is clearly not growing, it's not, not growing very rapidly. Uh, and indeed, is likely to contract in the course of 2023. Um, we have a high inflation rate. Um, a lot of people unhappy about the direction in of, of, of travel. Uh, a sense, I think, from the opinion polls that um, the, the Brexit is increasingly perceived to be a mistake, or at least in the form that it's been implemented, uh, because it's making people's lives uh, harder. Um, so, you know, he's going to have to tread a, a fine line. He's a, he's a reasonably competent character, is Sunak. Um, but I rather suspect that the circumstances in which he finds himself are such that it will be very difficult um, to come out of this, uh, certainly with an election victory in, you know, up to two years' time. Um, Sunak may well enhance his reputation as a, as a, as a competent technocrat, but um, I think there's very little he can do given the inheritance that was bequeathed to him, obviously, by his certainly his last three predecessors, actually, uh, and in particular, you know, the mess that he inherited from, from Liz Truss. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. So in, in a sense, really kind of hanging on for dear life over the, over the coming two years, um, I suppose, or managing decline would be another way to put it. So, yeah, Peter, so that would kind of lead to two questions. Um, if we assume that the UK, um, you know, that Sunak kind of holds on for the next two years um, before a potential Labour victory, um, the question then is, well, is the UK investable, in your, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, the UK is always investable. Um, it has, um, you know, many things going for it. It's got a, you know, very, you know, strong, well-educated labour force. It's, it has traditionally been a, a, a great haven for, uh, for capital over the course of, of, of you know, the, the last few decades. Um, it's, it's been attractive in that sense. It's, it's problematic in the sense that the UK is no longer part of the EU, so a little bit less attractive as a European base for, for, many, um, for many European companies or even US companies who want to set up their operations here. Um, the other thing which I think is worth bearing in mind, and I don't know whether this is a question of investability or, or simply price, is that given the collapse in sterling over the course of you know, recent years, um, a lot of very good UK assets are, um, are pretty cheap. And, you know, we've seen over the course of the last couple of years in particular, um, a, a lot of activity on the part of foreign investors to buy um, UK-based companies. Um, so, you know, I, I think that tells you that the, the UK is still investable um, and, and, it's, and it's cheap. Um, looking forward, um, the UK would become a lot more attractive as a as an investment prospect um, if investors can be sure that the political landscape isn't going to be you know uh, changed in the way that the trust uh, attempted to do back in September 
Um, I'm pretty confident that we won't see a repeat of, of that kind of shock again. Um, sure. But, you know, we need to see you know, better relations with the, U the EU. I think that's clearly one of the keys to making the UK um, sort of a trusted investment partner once again. Sure. Um, I mean, on that, on the EU sort of uh, outlook, right, um, we can definitely see that there there is tangible progress being made on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, and, and that's certainly what the new music that we're hearing. And certainly, I think Brussels is taking the view that the quantum of, of sort of, uh, you know, UK, Northern Ireland trade is so small that it, it poses little to notice to the integrity of the single market. So it, it does seem that they're getting close to a deal there. Um, and, and that's obviously good for the mood music. But um, it, as long as Sunak is, you know, sort of dealing or contending with the, the ultra, you know, the Brexit ultras in his party, will he be able to actually get better trading relations with the EU people? Um, I rather suspect that the EU wants to have good relations with the UK. Um, and I think that there's a sense that now that Boris Johnson's out of the picture, you know, there's every there's every prospect that you know they 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 feel as though Sunak is a man with whom they can do business. He's, he's yes, he may have supported Brexit back in 2016, but he's he's a practical man. He's a rational character, uh, not given to flights of fancy. Um, so you know, I get the sense that you know the EU is um, is more open to negotiations with with the Sunak government government than they might have been with. Um, the, the Johnson government. Um, I think also that the ultras within the Conservative Party appear to have gone a lot more quiet uh, in the last six months, largely because, you know, they've got what they wanted in terms of the Brexit policy, but the um, the next step in terms of, you know, the ultra-liberalisation uh, route that was tried by um, Ms. Truss clearly has failed. So, you know, that hopefully they've They've gone to retreat and, and lick their wounds for a bit, which will, you know, give Sunak some space to operate in a way that he can, you know, attempt to maybe repair relations with the with the EU to a degree. I mean, it's never going to go back to, to what it was, but um, some stability, uh, a little bit less uh, friction, uh, you know, might go a long way. Yeah, I think that's that's quite fair. So I suppose if we wrap it up, really, um, you know, so in your, in your view, really, we're, we're looking at a, yeah, a difficult political situation here, a, a strained uh, economic situation. The Bank of England potentially getting rates to 4%, but then, then thereafter uh, reducing them, possibly quickly, depending on, on how inflation develops. For sterling, uh, you say it's cheap. Will it get cheaper? What's, what's, what's your view there? Well, it goes back to this question of, you know, as long as governments don't do silly things, um, the downside hopefully is limited. Obviously, there is a risk. It, I mean, you know, we talked before about the risk premium built into um, particularly the fixed income market. You know, I, I wonder to what extent it's more likely to be based, uh, to, to be built into the into the FX market. So in that sense, perhaps, um, you know, sterling's trading at, you know, a significant discount um, compared to um, you know, where it should be. It probably should be, you know, 130 versus a dollar or maybe higher. Um, Given the the current sort of economic circumstances, I mean, after all, you know, the the UK still has the advantage of a significant um, you know yield differential vis-a-vis -vis at least the the eurozone. Uh, so, I think sterling probably should be trading higher than it actually is, and the, the reason it isn't is simply because 
um, we're still suffering the lingering after effects of um, you know September of last year. So Sterling has a little bit of I think upside, but it will be a slow haul. Um, you know I don't think it'll reach 130 against the dollar this year. I might be wrong. Uh, you know, but you know I think the direction of travel over the next year or two, um, in my view, is is clear. But it precisely because it will take time to um, eradicate the the lingering after effects of of last year's shenanigans. Um, you know, don't 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 go too long too quickly. I think would be the in, indeed, I, I guess um, you know it's, it's like they say: yeah, trust is hard to gain, but easy to lose. Right. And so it is with Sterling and, and uh, the UK's borrowing ability. Fantastic, Willis. Thank you very much indeed, Peter. Uh, been been great having you on, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to uh, to having you on once again. And uh, and finally, thank you to all of our listeners. We wish you all a very very happy and prosperous new year. Thanks again.